Kathy so beautifully did at the start of our worship service this morning. I want to say a special word of welcome to any visitors that we have this morning. Perhaps you have traveled and joined family for Thanksgiving, or you are here as a part of our special baptism Sunday this morning. We are delighted that you have chosen to join us for worship and want to say a word of welcome. We conclude our sermon series, Thanksgiving, and giving thanks on this Thanksgiving weekend, looking at all the ways that gratitude shapes our lives and our faith, and we'll do so this morning from a passage from the Gospel of Luke. So listen now for a word from the Lord from Luke 17. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee, As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, stopped turned back and praised God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, days pass and years vanish, and we walk sightless among miracles. As we pause this Thanksgiving weekend, fill our eyes with seeing and our minds with knowing. Let there be moments where your presence, like lightning, illuminates the darkness in which we walk. Help us to see that wherever we gaze, the bush burns unconsumed, and that we, clay touched by you, might reach out in holiness and exclaim in wonder. How filled with awe is this place and we did not know it. Amen. This week, religion scholar and author of the book, Grateful, Diana Butler Bass wrote about the prevalence of a new and increasingly serious disease running rampant among us in the American public. Thanksgiving anxiety disorder. That is the collective anxiety that we all feel about celebrating Thanksgiving in these years with friends and relatives of perhaps different political persuasions. As it turns out, in the last few years, the most stressful part of celebrating Thanksgiving for most of us is not cooking the turkey or picking out that perfect pumpkin pie but wondering how quickly you can escape conversation with your father-in-law who's wearing a Make America Great hat, or your sister who is boldly wearing that She Persisted t-shirt that you hate. 
Diana might be the first to actually give it a name, but there is real evidence of such a thing among us. Social scientists have discovered that we Americans have significantly shortened our Thanksgiving dinners in recent years, especially when spending it with relatives of the opposite political party. Democrats, for example, celebrating Thanksgiving in Republican areas have spent 20 to 40 minutes less time at the table. Republicans visiting Democrats have reduced their holiday visits by 50 to 70 minutes. Thanksgiving has become polarized, and most of us would prefer to dine with our own tribe. Diana offers some truly terrific strategies for treating Thanksgiving anxiety disorder, including deflecting with humor, encouraging meaningful conversation, which all feel heard and respected, introducing other conflicts into the mix, dark meat versus white meat, cranberry in the can or fresh cranberry. Perhaps she suggests that you could be the one to bring the best dessert. Everyone loves the person who brings the best dessert. And then, of course, my favorite, planning a few strategically timed bathroom breaks. But at the end of her article, Diana writes this. She says, Thanksgiving is the only holiday Americans have specifically to celebrate gratitude, to recognize the bounties of creation and community upon which we all depend. And as with so many other parts of American society right now, we have work to do. Our tables need to be reset. This Thanksgiving, we have the opportunity to remember that our lives are a gift, that all that we have and all that sustains us are gifts, and that all of us can choose, even around the most awkward holiday table, to be thankful with and for each other. Theologian Karl Barth said it this way, he said the basic human response to God is gratitude, not fear or trembling or shoulds or oughts or guilt or dread, but thanksgiving. What else could we possibly offer to God who gives us the very gift of life than thanks and praise? In our gospel lesson from this morning, we heard the story of a leper who returned to Jesus to say thank you. It happens as Jesus and his disciples are traveling to Jerusalem through the region between Samaria and Galilee. It is significant in our text that they travel through Samaria. Jews in Jesus' day despise Samaritans and vice versa, generally thinking the other to be religiously and culturally inferior. It represented a divide at least as deep as that among us in American politics these days, and much worse. One thinks of conflicts today between Palestinians and Israelis, between Sunnis and Shias, between progressives and conservatives in our own denomination. It is sadly too easy to name examples 
where we as people of faith have turned on one another. But as often is the case with Jesus, his message crossing borders of maps, but also politics and theologies, finding ways to challenge and dismantle our differences. So here they are, Jesus and the disciples, in unfamiliar territory, in Samaria. And they come across ten lepers. It's hard for us to understand and overestimate the pain and alienation that a leper in Jesus' day would have experienced. Lepers suffered physically, but also the social alienation that came with their disease. Leprosy included a variety of skin diseases that today we would consider very treatable. But at Jesus' time, it would have required somebody to be banished from their home, from the touch of their children and their spouse and their loved ones, isolated completely from community. Lepers were so feared that people thought even to cross the shadow of a leper was to risk infection. And so they were required to mark their appearance with torn clothes and to shout as they approached people yelling, unclean, unclean. So this group of lepers is approaching toward Jesus and they call out, but not this time to announce their uncleanliness, but to ask that Jesus might show mercy and heal them. And Jesus does, right there on the spot. Jesus heals all 10 of the diseased. He sends them to a priest who can pronounce their lives restored and made whole. And all ten skip joyfully off to reclaim their lives. But just when you think the story is about over, and the ten are almost all the way down the road, one leper stops and turns back. And kneeling at Jesus' feet, he says, Thank you. And then Jesus says something rather extraordinary to this foreign Samaritan. He says, your faith has made you well. Some scholars suggest that it's better said, your faith has saved you. And so the text implies that while trust in Jesus' mercy healed all ten men physically, it was this one man's response of gratitude and thanksgiving that restored his entire life, body, mind, and spirit, to wholeness. In other words, it's not about our politics, or how good we are, or about our particular beliefs in God that causes Jesus to pronounce our lives saved and healed and fully restored. Rather, it is the ability to recognize a gift and to return and say thank you. It is to say by Jesus' definition that faith and gratitude are intimately related. The practice of returning thanks that li is literally stopping and turning back to say thank you is the proper response to the gifts of God, a response that brings healing and wholeness to our lives, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. 
Theologian and Christian convert C.S. Lewis observed the Bibles and particularly the Psalms' insistence that we respond to God with thanks and praise. And he observed a close link between gratitude and personal well-being. He wrote, I noticed how the humblest and at the same time the most balanced people praised the most, while cranks and misfits and mouse contents praised the least. Thanksgiving seemed to be inner health made audible. You likely know that there's a lot of good evidence that both Jesus and C.S. Lewis knew exactly what they were talking about. There was an article published this past February in the Washington Post entitled, Can Gratitude Heal You? Providing significant evidence that grateful people have an edge on recovery and overall health. And it could be that grateful people among us just take better care of themselves. But there is evidence that gratitude alone is a stress reducer, that grateful people are more hopeful, less fearful, less anxious, and more open to others. All things that we could use a lot of right now. And there are even links between gratitude and a stronger immune system. Which means at the end of the day, when your mom made you sit down at the kitchen table and write all of those thank you notes, even to your grandmother who gave you underwear and tube socks, she really knew what she was talking about. I think it's probably true for most of us that our prayers of petition, the things we ask God for, are often longer than our prayers of gratitude. And it's not that we shouldn't call on God for help. We absolutely should. But perhaps extending our ability to say thank you might bring with it the recognition that we have among us a powerful tool for changing our lives and the lives of those around us. Writer Anne Lamont says that she only ever prays two prayers. Help me, help me, help me in the morning. And thank you, thank you, thank you at the close of the day. I was reminded of a beautiful story of returning thanks this week. It happened when a Sudanese woman named Alik arrived in this country in Fort Worth with her two children and a third on the way. But the family wasn't complete. They had had to leave their husband and father, Diane, back in Egypt in a refugee camp. A single Sudanese man, it was unlikely that he would ever get a visa. And so she had arrived in this country knowing that she might not ever see her husband again. The family began settling in and finding life here. And through the prayers and help of some Christians here in Dallas, four years later, Alik found out that her husband had finally been given safe passage and was allowed to come to this country to join them. So family and friends, new friends, church friends, all piled into the car and drove to the DFW airport. They all huddled together, anxiously awaiting for passengers to disembark on the plane. You know that moment where you're waiting to see your loved one's face come around the corner? The children have all made signs saying, welcome home, daddy. But the energy is palpably anxious and nervous. They have waited four years for a moment they thought would never come. 
Did he get out? Did he make his connection in Houston? And then it happens. Father's face appears in the entry of the airplane tunnel. And the children just cannot hold back. They run with abandon and they throw their arms around their father's neck and he hugs them furiously and he's touching their faces, including the face of the three-year-old son who he's meeting for the very first time. Staggering forward, he makes his way to his wife where they embrace. And the whole family can scarcely believe it's happening. It's this beautiful, overwhelming moment of joy and connection and reunion. And in a few moments, the entire airport terminal is clapping and crying. And you think that's the end of the story. The family walks toward the airport exit, joyfully headed out to reclaim their lives together. But as they prepare to go, the father stops, and he turns back, and falling on his knees right there beside baggage claim, tears streaming down his face, his hands lifted in prayer and praise, he says, thank you, thank you, oh dear God, thank you. Maybe this year you've had a touch of Thanksgiving anxiety disorder. Or you found ways to eat with your tribe. You've found ways, practical and profound, to sit around a table with strangers and neighbors and friends, to pass the stuffing, to argue over which kind of turkey you like. And to give thanks for each time we say thank you to God. We are reminded of the gift that Thanksgiving is not just a single day that leads us up to Christmas, but a lifetime practice of turning back. The basic Christian response to God is gratitude. Gratitude for the gift of life, for the air in our lungs, for the ground beneath our feet, for the children we hold in our arms. Gratitude for the gift that God has given us of people to journey on this life with. Basic Christian response to God is gratitude. Gratitude for God's love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ, which brings with it a hopefulness and a sense of wholeness, no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in or the table we find ourselves sitting at. This week, this year, each and every day of our lives, you and I are given the opportunity to give thanks to God. That is literally to stop, to turn back, and to say thank you. Indeed, all thanks be to God this day. Amen.